0: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravali and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash.
2: Welcome to episode 102 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli, uh, Tyler Remchuk. On, on holidays. This week he's tired from the All-Star weekend. He was, uh, he was pretty busy. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, Tyler
3: had a lot of fun. Tyler had, we were living vicariously through Tyler.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm curious to see, uh, I just want to know how much did he lose or win gambling? Cause let's be real. That's the I, I, main reason why he went.
3: All I know is that he, he sent me a quick text, right? You know, he, he might've only been there a few hours. Like, hey, up a few hundred bucks. And I, I didn't hear from him since. So hopefully that means good things.
2: <laughs> um, All-star weekend. I thought there was a, a real lots of positives about the weekend. Well, what did you say uh, top to bottom?
3: I think it, I mean just like any normal All Star Weekend, like there were a bunch of things that worked and were cool, a few things that kind of missed. Um, I I wish I was there just to uh, to to understand what the feeling was like in the arena while they take a pause and then roll the tape of the two events that were executed outside the day before like that's 15 or 20 minutes of people in the arena, just sitting there doing nothing. Like it had to be odd. Um, you know, in arena, I think the fan watching at home, you know, might not have been any the wiser, but I think the, the fountain shot worked not so much the 21, like first off all the guys got to 21 without busting second, it was odd. Like there was like cards falling, lights shattering, like, I don't, it just, there wasn't enough commentary. There wasn't enough trash talk between the guys to really make it in. Like everyone was mic'd up. Like it just seemed a little bit sterile. And I think the guys were saying it was so cold in Vegas, like as cold as it really ever gets there, um, that they were like, they were legit freezing.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, that's the part that had me chuckling a little bit, Frank, to be honest, uh, coming from uh, Northern Canada where it's cold and it's been raining and then it's been minus 25 and then it's been plus eight. And you're in Vegas of all places where, you know, you should be out there, uh, shirtless half the time because it's nice and then, and, and the players are freezing. So I just, it was like
3: six it, or eight degrees Celsius, yeah. like, like 48, 52 degrees somewhere in that, that neighborhood. Yeah. You, you can't even rely on, um, like the hot places in the NHL to be hot right now, which is is crazy. But (laughs) what'd you um, think? I I mean, the, the Zegers one, like that, the breakaway challenge was awesome, but it was uh, kind of ruined at the end. I don't understand. Now I thought, okay,
2: maybe I'm missing something. There was like a fan vote because it's in Vegas. And so the hometown guy, but there wasn't. So I'm like, how does a guy who doesn't score, who gets a second chance with a really lame attempt with just the band guys coming down, like compared to what Zegers did, like I watched the Zegers move, I want to say legitimately like 30 times, because I was like, like the bl- the the uh, the blindfold I'm not, you know, maybe it was partially see through, I don't know, but it was more so the movement of the stick holding onto the puck, and I'm like, hey, he's got a hit extra by a box but, oh, yeah, well, plus I love dodgeball. So, how, you know, how do you not like a Peter LaFleur reference? I was all over that. But, like, Zegras, and the thing was I watched his his Michigan goal, and then I watched that, like, his ability to to change how you stick handle the puck and really how you handle the puck. I'm not saying that the game's going to massively evolve from it, but you know that kids are watching that, and they're going to try it. And so if you, I've always said if you suddenly have one player per team in the NHL, who's comfortable trying and and completing the Michigan in flight like Zegris was? That it, it's a wraparound that's just more effective because most wraparounds can only score on the ice. Like it's a really new dimension to the game potentially, and and what he did in the All Star game, Frank. Honestly, I never seen anything like that before. That was amazing to me.
3: There's so many levels to it, and the fact that you only get one take to get it yeah. right. He nailed it. Every yeah. part of it, the blindfold, missing a dodge ball, the puck on his stick, like, like he was yo-yoing it. And then to not only hit the net, but to score perfectly, like it was beautiful. But then we end up with Alex Petrangelo as the winner and John Hamm, who said before they even went out on the ice, oh, he's such a big St. Louis Blues fan. He said, all I know is Alex Petrangelo is getting a little extra help tonight. Like he said it on the broadcast on ESPN. Then Petrangelo goes and he gives him a 19. Somehow the NHL on a 10 scale, he gives him a 19, holds up the one and the nine. And somehow the NHL is like, yeah, that's cool. No problem. We're going to count the 19. Like what? Yeah, it was terrible. Petrangelo's thing wasn't funny. It wasn't imaginative. It wasn't cool. There was no skill to it. And I was like, what, like, you had this viral moment again that it was all anyone was talking about on social media was Zegris. And Alex Petrangelo goes in the record, like, again, not to say that the record matters, but he goes down in the books as the winner of the breakaway challenge. No,
2: I, I didn't understand it. Like, you know, Debrinkat was funny. Um, you know, Hughes was, was imaginative. Kids would have loved that little mini Jack Hughes and the stick toss. But yeah, Petrangelo, who's from Vegas. That's what, like, Vegas is, is one of the best teams at being creative. And because I have to think that maybe that someone in your organization's helping you. But I thought that was my, my, only, my only real beef with the whole weekend was how they botched what was kind of bordering
3: on the marquee event. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it kind of was the marquee event. It was, I thought, you know, fastest skater, just everyone going through one time. I feel like with fastest skater, you got to cut it from eight to four to two and have some, you know, the winners got to skate three laps. I guess that's too much to ask. Um, hardest shot, it felt like the numbers were like oddly, I don't want to say rigged, but like how do you go from 91 to 102 in two separate shots? That felt weird. Um, I don't know, like... Again, there were some things that hit, some things that missed. There's just like any normal all star weekend, they're constantly making tweaks. Um, I mean, all in all, I, th- I think it ended up being fine.
2: Oh yeah. No, overall, I think it was great. It was just, I was perplexed by the, the breakaway challenge. And you know, my son's eight years old and I think the all-star game is definitely, you know, it really inspires young kids. He was watching that move and him and his buddies were in the garage later at eight and they're trying it with, and then they're getting frustrated. Dad, he must've glued it to a stick. (laughs) And I'm like, no, there's no glue.
3: Your point is well made though, because my guy, that's the first, he's seven. That's the first NHL event this season game whatever it is special draft not like that's the first event all season he watched start to finish and yes. loved it. oh yeah
2: like that was i'll give the nhl they you get the young jet but even my son watched, he's like well dad that one was boring about Angelos. like his words eight-year-olds any parent out there knows anybody yeah. who deals with kids they're they're bluntly honest they'll tell you exactly what it was and i was like yeah you're right it was
3: Yeah, Uh, I mean, hey, but I guess that's really what it ends up being all about, right? It's not really what you or I think it's the next, the kids that are watching. And uh, Claude Giroux wins the MVP, and I see a lot of people, you know, little hints, oh,
2: Jesus, trade value. I'm like, well, I don't know, sure, the MVP of a three-on-three short tournament matters. But Claude Giroux, it's interesting, Frank, uh, you know, he's got the 1,000 games that he can get with the Flyers before um, the trade deadline, which I think is important for him and the organization. Mm-hmm. But he's got a massive cap hit. Fleury's got a massive cap hit. Phil Kessel, like guys who are, you know, two of them have won Stanley Cup. Giroux's an elite player, one of the best face-off guys in the league. Really good power play player. I I, I don't discount that teams are interested, but it's interesting how creative the deals are going to have to be to get these guys to, new,
3: to tune teams. It feels like this is the year of the third-party broker. The old chop twice. You're going to have to get some of these guys in order to make the cap hits work for 25% of what they're currently making. And so you do that by sending them to a middle team and a middleman and having them retain half as well. uh, In addition to the original team. And there's actually lots of teams that aren't in playoff spots that are quite capable of doing this. The Arizona coyotes have already let everyone know, Hey, we're willing to utilize our cap space, um, which is it's decent, but not, you know, it's not a never ending supply of cap space uh, in order to make it work. But there's lots of teams sort of in that world, the Sharks, Devils, Kraken, the Sens, the Red Wings, the Blue Jackets, the Ducks, the Sabres. Like these are all teams that if they're not utilizing their cap space to try and get a pick back, I mean, it. you know, it, essentially what it comes down to, Jason, is is buying draft picks, you know, and and they all have a... Uh, a cost of doing business, a cost associated with them. Everyone knows on their draft value chart approximately how much each pick is worth. And, you know, that's an easy simple way for teams that have space that utter- otherwise would not be utilized this season to then trade uh, some of that cap space in exchange for a pick. Well,
2: and the other thing, Frank, is um,
3: now th- this is
2: not uh scientific by any stretch of the imagination it was just me um, looking at things and there's been a change really when you look at the amount of impact free agents are making on uh, on contending teams like like look at tampa bay their deals were either drafts or trades i'm not sure they had one free agent that played any significant role on their team and even if you go back in the salary cap era where i know free agency is still a big day in the summer but I think teams, the importance of draft picks now, I wonder if team, if we're seeing a change, Frank, in teams recognizing that a free agency is not like that's where you go to overpay and get under delivery at the end. And, you know, the more draft picks, obviously it takes you many years and and probably a lot longer than people think when it comes to a true rebuild. But looking at my numbers, and I'm compiling an article, so it's just the start of it. But it does seem to be that there's been a lowering of the impact of free agents
3: on successful teams. It depends on who you're talking about. Like, I think Artemi Panera and Microdown is one of the best free agent signings ever. Yeah, but they but, but they've yet to win is all I'm saying, right? No, but they're now in a contender window, and they have Artemi Panarin. Their window's just opening this year, and they have Panarin for f- four more years after this.
2: Yeah, he could be the he could be the Chara. You're right, like Sedano Chara for Boston, right? They won a cup in '11 at five years after they uh, um, they signed him as a UFA. But I think main... free
3: agency has value for players that aren't necessarily you, you know you have your top top end guys the the nine, 10, $11 million guys that rarely ever make it to there, the true impacts impact guys. And then you have that sort of, you know, window between seven and $4 million where guys, I think to your point more often than not don't end up working out. Um, But then I think there's the value guys, which I think is really the area where you can improve your team in free agency. Like you brought up the Tampa Bay lightning, like, if they win the Stanley cup again this year for the third straight year, it's going yep. to be because of guys like Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Belmar that really helped that team get back on track. I mean, like you look at Perry and the value that he's provided for a $1 million deal. Like he's got 23 points in 46 games, 12 goals. He's on pace for another 20 goal season for a million bucks. Oh yeah. On a hey, team on, on a, on a guy, and a guy that has gone to, How many straight finals? Yeah. But if you look, so,
2: okay, so let's say Corey Perry on a team that's one, two, but like, look at Colorado. Do they really have a big free agent that they've, uh, you know, now Darcy Kemper, but that was almost because they lost their goalie. So they had no choice. That was a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, right. Here is a trade Carolina. um, You know, you look at at Tony D'Angelo is is he's the best one. But again, like the bar is a different values, right? right. Like Tony D'Angelo is one
3: of the best free agent signings. If you look at per value in dollar, but, but I think really, if you want to highlight the idea that free agency, isn't the way to build your team, look at some of the teams at the bottom of the standings. Yeah, (laughs) that's really, that's really where you're going to find it. You're going to see, um, you know, those types of players on, five and seven and $6 million a year cap hits that are really struggling.
2: Yeah. And it's also, I, I was looking at the realistic timeline of, of a rebuild and I think a rebuild, Frank, people think you could do a rebuild in two or three years. I think honestly it might be eight to 10. If I look at the history of teams trying to properly actually rebuild, right? Cause I feel like the New York Rangers and their four are going to, Yeah. Well, New York's New York's a little bit of an exception because of, uh, you know, they they had a they had a short blip. They also, as you mentioned, you get Panarin. Right. And they got lucky in the draft lottery. Right. That that can change things. You got to get some luck on
3: your side for sure. Steve Eiserman says pretty consistently that it takes five years. Yeah. He did it in Tampa. He took over in 10 and got them to the cup in 2015 yeah, but but it, you he's could not argue doing it in Detroit, and that team looks like he's in year three, and that team looks like they're going to be a playoff team by year five.
2: Yeah, but keep in mind there was three years prior to that, right? Where they kind of what's yeah, but your that, championship. That's, team? that's not his. Pro, that's not his fault. No, but it's part of the rebuild, though. No,
3: I get. I mean, I don't know. Like, you could go back and look at the at the the. Tap history, Like I don't know that Ken Holland was really actively tearing it down. There were still a lot of contracts that Steve Eisenman yeah. inherited that he had to unload from Ken Holland. And, and Tampa Bay, though,
2: you, you would, fair to say, though, the rebuild starts in 08 when they have Stamkos and then Headman
3: right, before he even gets there because those are top two picks. Right, but I guess the other point is like, okay, so it depends on who you're drafting, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like if you're yeah. drafting Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid, it's a two year to three year turnaround. But if you're getting, I don't know, Shane, Wright, Or if you're getting, you know, pick another player. That's gone. Number one, that isn't a, a generational talent. Then you're dealing with something different.
2: Yeah, it all, it's, it's cool. A
3: lot of it's just luck. Oh, well,
2: that's a valid That's word, the Frank. biggest factor. Yeah. Like I would, like, I'm curious about a team like Ottawa or even a team like Montreal, like people talk about how Montreal, yeah, you know what? They're just going to throw in the towel this year. I'm like, well, how are they going to turn around? Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki aren't Matthews and McDavid.
3: Well, to your point, they also ha- are saddled with long-term contracts that I, if you wanted to take it down to the studs, I'm not sure that you could.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No
3: Gallagher, worries. Anderson, Who's taking Mike Hoffman with two years on his deal. They probably should think about trading Tyler Toffoli. Um, you know, it, Jeff Petrie, it's not going to be a challenge, but you're going to have to bend a little in order to make it work. And then you're dealing with Carey Price and his contract.
2: Yeah. Like the top teams, like, look at, look at Detroit. They were taught for what? 25. I can't remember how many years it was. 25, 25 straight years. I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's been now what seven years. They won't make the playoffs. Look at Chicago. When was the last time they made the playoffs? And do they have building blocks that make you look like they're suddenly going to make the playoffs again?
3: No. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one. I just, I look at, I think. I don't the, know, but I I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd have to read your story to really dive in and I'm, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm combating against your idea of eight to 10 years.
2: Yeah. Well, that one, that was more, I haven't looked at that. Mine was more though, the free agency mm-hmm. teams are actually, it's less of an impact for most big teams like Corey Perry. You're right. That's been great. Tony D'Angelo, but those are almost like Corey Perry is a free agent, you know, is under a million bucks. He's coming there. Cause he's a veteran on a team that's won two Stanley cups. He just has to fill a role. If you go in free agency, looking to have somebody that can, uh, can be a, a star for your team. Like look at even Toronto, Toronto went out and paid huge money for John Tavares and they've yet to win a playoff round.
3: That, and that's probably the contract that, hams up their entire salary cap picture. But at the same time, like I always, I always am cautioned when I criticize that deal and some of the others that were made, because if you think about where we were when the deal was signed, like no one was envisioning a flat, like has any team been damaged more than Toronto with the flat cap world? Like we were all expecting a, you know, a three to four to 5% increase every season. Had we not been in the flat cap world, like what would the salary cap be at this moment? Had we not, you know, hit the pandemic, we're talking about a cap somewhere in the nineties. Oh, probably. Yeah. I think so. So like, so if you're, if you're Toronto, you're going like, well, we signed all these guys thinking that we were going to have more additional space. Not all of a sudden our legs were going to be cut out from under us, you know, for three straight years. And then it turns into five or seven.
2: Yeah. I I think the, the concern is though that you had three really good young forwards. Did, what if you would have spent that money on, on defense or other areas? Because when you look at the champ, look at Tampa now, Tampa, we can say it's luck or whatever or skill, but they had an, they drafted elite forwards, elite defenseman, elite goaltender, right? LA, elite goaltender, elite defenseman, elite forward. Right, Chicago is the only one who didn't draft an elite goaltender, but they had multiple forwards and multiple defensemen, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the one valid question over Toronto was, you had legit forwards. Did you need another one who was going to be more expensive than the, the three you already had, or could you have spent that elsewhere? I think that's a fair question. Not that John Tavares is a bad player, but was that the piece they needed most in free agency?
3: Well, no, and I started out by saying it's – yeah, it's the contract that breaks them. I don't like. I think everyone would agree. Now, um, he's been almost exactly a point per game player since arriving in, oh, yeah. in Toronto. Two thirty eight and two forty two. Yeah, there's no problem with him
2: as a player, right? Uh, it's just was he the player that they truly needed? That's right. I think a fair question. Hundred percent. Yeah, and um, Frank, as we get to the uh, the dead like the New York Rangers, we talk about them with Panarin and. Do you think they, they stay patient because, and I don't, I don't really buy window, but when you look at their team and, and a lot of the core pieces of their team, like Chris Kreider's having an unreal year, he might score 50, which is crazy. But when you look at their team, Fox is, is I think right in his window of prime. You mentioned Panarin, obviously Chris Kreider, you know, Shusterkin's unbelievable. I, I know people talk about Kako and Lafrenier, but. Who knows how good they're going to be and when they're going to kind of emerge as legit superstars. If you're the Rangers, do you go for it this year?
3: I think you have to try. Like, I think you really and and maybe that's where acquiring a player with some term like a JT Miller really makes sense because you don't it's not just a one off. Yeah, you know, you can fit him in your cap. You know, you could resign him if you wanted to it makes too much sense. Um, I I think they should be really active, maybe not necessarily in the pure rental space, but, you know, I I always think back to, well, maybe one of the failings of the Oilers is, is thinking back to 2017 when they did get in and and went and won around is, did they not properly gear up then? Like not saying they, they would have won the whole thing, but did they maybe take that year a little bit for granted and say, hey, we're building towards this and we, we think we'll eventually eventually get to this. And then you never really know what happens. You know, the wheels fall off and you don't make the playoffs the following year. And then what? two years. Yeah. two. But, but that's kind of that proves my point, does it not? Yeah. That maybe they should have taken the, the opportunity that they had then a little bit more seriously. Well, yeah, don't get order fans
2: fired up about 2017. They're still mad about the overtime or the Kessler goal because they lost in seven games. But you're right. Like there was some people that said, hey, and David DeHarnay did what he David DeHarnay was a good acquisition because he really won the one game in the San Jose series. He had an assist. He scored the overtime winner. So for a fifth round pick for that one game, it's worth it. But but doing nothing else, I think that's a fair question, you know, potentially on their back end because they didn't have a ton of experience. So, um, you know, you look and, and you're the Rangers. I think, Frank, it's not so much that you go all the way, but the more playoff experience you can get for your players, so you see that they become more comfortable in key stressful situations. I think that's what it's about. Like, it's very rare to see a team like, look at Look at how many disappointments Tampa had in the playoffs before they won. Like obviously 2019 was crushing for them, but they lost the Stanley cup with a lot of guys in
3: 2015 uh, in the final. They look at they Washington. Have- look at St. Louis. Like, yes. All these teams that finally broke through the lesson I think is get as many kicks at the can as you can. And if you're the Rangers, don't just sit back and say, "Well, our team's pretty damn, damn good as assembled." We'll just take a run at it. You don't like you you have no idea what the map. Maybe someone upsets Carolina in the first round, and you get a better second round matchup than you thought. Like anything can happen, and I, I just I think there that's the one sort of cautionary tale, you know. Looking back on the Oilers, they finished that year twenty seventeen with the fifth most cap space. They didn't do everything they could. No,
2: that's valid. And I wonder how much, now it's a different manager, but I wonder how much that weighs. Like the Edmonton orders, um, they had a 15-game stretch. That's such a a, a real outlier to their other 27 games. It's Mm -hmm. Uh, mind-blowing. Their goaltending, Frank, fell off a cliff, really, for 15 games. They had a combined 8.68, say, percentage. 8.68. So sometimes we hear the number. so I crunched it. This is, even if you're just league average, let's say, a 9.10, that means the, the opposition and the, the, they're up your opponents. That's a you're allowing five more yeah. goals on every hundred shots, which is about three games. So you're allowing five more goals every three games. And the orders had 15 games. So that's 25 more goals just because you're having basically American League goaltending across the board for three games. I don't care if you want to blame well the players. Yeah, the players make a factor, no question. But when you when your goaltending's that bad, and so I look at the orders and I wonder: they got Kane, and you talk about getting lucky, in a sense, they got lucky, right? You get a top-line winger for two million dollar cap hit who's going to be a legit player for your team. You had to give up nothing. I wonder if this is the year the, the Ken Holland has no choice in also a Pacific division that's not plush with a lot of top end teams. The Pacific doesn't have like Arizona's or, or Montreal's or really weak teams, right? I guess they got the expansion Seattle, but they got a lot of competitive teams, mm-hmm. but they don't have a great team. Vegas, meh, maybe. But other than that, I think it's a wide-open division. So you could easily win a round, if not two. And I wonder how, how, how aggressive Holland, along with his owner, Daryl Cates, are going to be.
3: I don't know how they could go forward and not get a goaltender. I really don't. I mean, what a disservice that would be to the team. Like, what's the status of Mike Smith at the moment? Uh, the plan is that uh, he, I think he could, he could play
2: uh, tomorrow against Vegas. I think it's going to be be dependent on practice today, but that's their plan right now. Like there was a chance they could have played him last week, but they said, let's just
3: rest another week. Okay. So that will be his seventh game of the season. Yeah. He's 39 years old and Koskinen has proven, if anything, that he can't play for more than five games in a two week period. He can't, Koskinen can't, he can't play a playoff series. He, he can't handle the workload. Yeah, that's fair. So I don't know how you could possibly, with those two factors, knowing that Smith feels like he could go down at any minute again, and Koskinen, who can't carry the ball, you, you have to do something. Like I, don't, like I don't know how you could possibly look at your forward group, your McDavid's and your Dreisaitl's and your Nugent Hopkins and say, hey, yeah, we're doing everything we can. That's, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I, I think my issue with the Kane signing, as much as he may help, you know, aside from the distraction part of it, just from a pure asset management standpoint, giving Evander Kane that cap hit at two point one, almost one million dollars, two point one one, it just further limits what you can acquire, you know, in terms of a goaltender. You pretty much have to move in the other way.
2: Well, I think you had to either way though.
3: Maybe, but it 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 would
2: have decreased your cost. Yeah, but you know what, Frank? Honestly, think the orders lacking a legit, like a legit scoring winger was massive. None of the winger, like Hyman's, a good winger,
3: but he's not. Why? So why? This is my only question when it comes down to the Evander Kane thing. Why did he have to get a million dollars as a net? Yeah. Like, why wasn't it you want to play in this league? Here's the 750,000 league minimum and we'll prorate it and you'll end up getting essentially half of that 375 grand to finish out the year. Like why, why did they, why was there the $625,000 signing bonus?
2: I wonder how much of that is to potentially see if he signs another one year deal in the summer.
3: I think you deal with that after. And you also say you got to come in here and prove it you prove it and we like you and you fit then we'll sign you for more later that's the whole point oh, he yeah, had no. no leverage
2: no he didn't i was a little i thought it was going to come in at
3: 1.5 came in at 2 i thought it'd be 1.5 right so i don't know i mean they got to get a goalie they can't not get a goalie by the way Google. by the I, well that's it's not, the, not gonna honestly, be true. Trust me.
2: I've spent weeks looking. Like Marc-Andre Fleury, I've been told is not it, coming down. He's not, he's not. No. So that's the, their biggest challenge. I I agree they need a goalie. Who, though? That's like that's to me is going to be the question. Like Dallas, if if they fall out of it, that that's the place that seems to make sense because they've got two I was gonna Rodgers. say, why not Holpi? Holpi would be the one. I would I would go after Holpi. Who Dobin makes no sense because he's got another year in his contract. That makes no sense to me. Right. But you know, hoping makes sense. Um, can yeah, Yarra lacks bonus for next year, Frank. That's really what what screws teams, too. So, he's,
3: he also has a no move, and I don't think he's that wild about going anywhere.
2: Yeah. He has a full no move. Yeah, well, there you go. So, like, there's just, that's the, the, the big, I think everybody agrees they need a goalie. Who do they go get? That's going to be the – but, hey, that's why you're a GM. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So right. you got to look at it, and you're going to have to figure it out. Now, uh, before we get going, Frank, I do want to talk about – Wait, wait,
3: wait, wait, wait. Yeah. We were talking – we were just talking about 2017, and it got me thinking, were you surprised that Peter Cirelli is interviewing? He interviewed on Sunday for the Chicago Blackhawks.
2: Well, no, the the NHL, Frank, um, the NHL – like. Likes to, and I know people use the word recycle, and they recycle coaches and GMs for a few reasons. Because there, there's a lot on the line for anybody when when you hire someone who doesn't have experience and you don't know if they can win. And so Peter Shirelli was an absolute tire fire in Edmonton. No one debates that. Heck, I think if, if you gave Peter true serum, he would say, yeah, I made some really bad moves. The Griffin-Reinhardt trade in itself – might be the worst move they made of all the moves. I don't, I, I,
3: moves. I. was going to say, we could have a long debate about that because cool. I don't know that that's the case. I think Strom for Spooner is is horrendous, especially Dude. given then, – then what about Koskinen?
2: Yeah, well, Koskinen – but the reason Griffin Reinhardt was bad, Frank, and I, and I, I know they're not going to tr- – draft barzell that's fine they could have drafted shabbat they could have drafted kyle connor they could have drafted samsonov like they could have drafted so many players that were infinitely better than him plus a second round pick and i'm not like i know that who knows if they would i'm not saying they get bolivier because that would have been they would have had a trade up you know to get bovillier uh, but getting griffin reinhardt who wasn't even at the time top pair defenseman in the ahl and you gave up the 16th pick, like seriously.
3: We, we would have, we could do a whole show is, just Strom's ranking. Pretty bad
2: too. You're you're valid um, just man.
3: ranking those, and then that we we haven't even mentioned Larson for Hall.
2: Yeah, or the Malucic signing at the time. Like, what you, you had Taylor Hall. You could have just signed Jason Demers and went Demers and Hall instead of Larson and Lucic. Like that would have been. Now, pretty simple, but um, I'm not surprised, Frank. Now, will he get the job? I don't know because he does have a, he has won a Stanley Cup and he, he has full marks for building that whole defense core in Boston, right? Hunter, no, I can't take that away from him. I, I'm not one who says, well, his recent work automatically erases the good work, but. Has he learned from that? That's my question. Has he learned from it? Is he a good enough communicator? That would be my question, because when Peter was in Edmonton, I don't think he was a very good communicator at all to people in his organization, to, to the media, to players. Every Everywhere I turn for people, people in the own organization, he wouldn't even say hi to walking down the hallway. What? So that to me is, did he learn from that? That said, Hey, you know what? Maybe I was too big for my britches because I won a Stanley cup. I thought I knew everything. I don't know, but I'm not stunned. I'll probably be surprised if he gets the job though, if I'm honest.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's going to get the job. And sources indicated that Peter Shirelli also interviewed in Anaheim as well, but um, it was early in the process and I don't think they ever viewed him as a serious contender. So It's interesting that Chicago is taking a little bit of a different tact with this, that they are announcing who they're interviewing. You know, they mentioned Scott Mellenby. I think Eric Tolsky from the Carolina Hurricanes is a very legit candidate. Um, You know, I'd be knocking down doors to try and get someone like Eric Tolsky running my franchise. I'll say this,
2: Frank. I think it's a, a wise decision by the Chicago Blackhawks. NFL teams do it all the time and there's no league in north america that they their fans like they drink the kool-aid every day they crush it in the big jugs when you give your fans as much information as you can here's the seven guys we interview because the worst is it comes out afterwards hey you know what rumors in the nhl that they interviewed this guy then six months later someone's like well actually no they didn't interview that guy why not why not say hey here's the six we interviewed we ended up with this guy. Now, you can have people that are going to debate, well, why didn't you hire? Some people might say in Chicago, well, if they hire Toluski, for argument's sake, right? Well, why didn't you hire Shirelli? It gets people talking about your organization, which is that keeps them engaged. I, I don't think, think there's any harm show. to it. it, it no, it, I think it, it's, it's a great decision. It people I'll like me them.
3: from constantly poking around trying to get information that, they, that people don't want out there.
2: Yeah. No, I applaud him for, for all the bad decisions they made. I would applaud. Him. This is the smart decision. And I would, I would
3: think more NHL teams moving forward should do it. I think they have a couple more interviews to conduct. I think they're going to end up with somewhere around five to six candidates when it's all said and done. That includes Kyle Davidson, who was the first person to interview. Yeah. Now do you think he's still the favorite? <sighs> I think, I think so just because I think there is a comfort and a almost like a devil, you know, type of feel that he's been very communicative. He's been upfront. He's involved the owners and the, the team president, Jamie Faulkner and all of the decision-making and thoughts. I think he's sort of been waiting to put his own stamp on the team Um, And I think the deadline was going to be one of those avenues if he was still in charge as the interim, that he would have gotten an opportunity to do so. But I think just hearing Eric Tolsky in the mix makes me wonder because, you know, as much credit goes to Don Waddell for his job managing Tom Dundon, the owner there, and managing up, he's, I don't know that there's anyone better in the league at it. That Eric Tolsky has really been the brains behind the operation and a big reason why the Hurricanes are right at the top of the standings in the East.
2: Now, speaking of the Blackhawks, Frank, uh, twofold. Of course, uh, there was the, uh, the the Rocky Wertz, um, I really don't understand what he was thinking to a very easy and fair question from Mark Lazarus at their uh, town hall. Um, Bettman's reaction and then the news coming out today that they fired a longtime a head athletic trainer, DJ Jones, for allegations of sexual harassment uh, to a member of the team's ice crew. He was with Rockford for for 16 years and supposedly he got let go in november t- two very different stories but when, when you're the blackhawks and because of the recent history is are you surprised at all and i know it's an american league affiliate that there wasn't even a press conference in november say, not a press conference but a press release saying we have released dj due to uh, these allegations we take it very serious but it had to come out two months later what do you make of that anything
3: it's all uh, yeah three months later um not really. And I know that a lot of people want to point to the Blackhawks and say, this is a team of villains. They're all, you know, they the whole organization is, is corrupt is there's something wrong with leadership and, and watching Rocky Wirtz and his outburst. I don't know that you'd be wrong um, with that assessment. But I think you need to be careful in terms of pointing fingers and painting with a really broad brush because for one, there's like for every player in this league and there's 700 and some, there's like three or four times the amount of support staff that's around a team. You're talking 2,500, 3,000 people that are interacting with just at the NHL level alone. There's bound to be a few bad actors or bad apples in all of them. Um, the fact that this person ends up in Chicago and, and worked for the Rockford ice hogs. Like I don't really know what one story has to do with the other, other than like, if, if that per if that trainer worked for pick a random team in the NHL, the Florida Panthers, like does that story even make a headline?
2: No, but I, Probably not. But I think the difference is it's more so that you could have been in front of the story. Right. And just if you're if you but want How to many teams seen, would be
3: announcing an AHL firing? That's my only question.
2: No, I, I agree. But this team, because of what happened, because of them, you know, all the allegations of covering up well, what happened to Kyle Beach for a long time and knowingly trying to cover it up that they and hey, they did the right thing. But it was almost like it was like they didn't want more news. And when you look at Rocky Wertz, and by the way, his own son, Danny Wertz, I give him credit. He tried to stop his dad from making an ass of himself, you know, and, uh, you know, dad tried to, you know, the power move to his grown son at, at that town hall, which because you could tell Danny was just like. No, no, no! Like he wanted to ask the question because the because question- they've actually done the
3: work. Yes, that's, that's what I agree. My that's my issue is that yes. the Blackhawks have implemented a lot of different policies and have gone way above and beyond what the NHL has asked of them and have been in in direct communication and have sort of been at the forefront in terms of being leaders in that space since then. Danny Wirtz is the guy with the boots on the ground every day. Rocky Wirtz is the chairman that's sort of. I don't want to say out of the picture, but he's not as heavily involved. Danny's the CEO of the team, the chief executive officer. And so he's he's doing the work. And sources indicated to me that he had a very emotional meeting with Blackhawk staffers the following day saying that this was the most disappointed he's ever been in his dad, that it was something that obviously really upset him and the team. And, and I think they realize now the damage that it's done, but I think that's, what's a, what's problematic or, or probably most upsetting for the Blackhawks is that they've actually been doing the work and a 32nd tantrum from Rocky Wirtz over something that he, uh, he was, he was, it was a tantrum over something that wasn't he, he made up in his own head.
2: Yeah, I agree i agree um and but that's why and the black be, because they have more lights on them and and i agree with you there's lots of people that that aren't deserving of the lights but they inherited the problem right it and guilt by association whether that's fair or not and so i just wonder if in the case of rockford had they sent out the release this is what we've done people would be like wow they're taking this serious because as you said frank no team ever does that right Can They never you legally announce. do
3: that Like, can you legally send out a press release saying we fired this person for this reason? Well, if there's cause, I think you could. That's a good question. Like to ask. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm just thinking, is there something relating to defamation? I I, I don't know.
2: Well, but if it's true, it's not defamation, right?
3: But do they have had they proven it, I guess, is the point? Or is it just that an allegation was made and they washed their hands of it?
2: Yeah, well, that's fair. Um I would, I would like to think that they maybe did their due diligence, but uh, you never know. Um, I, I will say about, you know, the Rocky Wirtz situation, Frank, it's very unique how if you go way back to the early 2000s, Rocky took over from Bill when the organization was completely going the wrong way and he changed a lot of things, right? Got them back on TV and did so many great things. And now you fast forward to 2022 and now it's his son Danny for a completely different reason has to sit there and say, Dad, I think it's time you move aside. And, you know, he, you know, Danny should be the more of the public face now because Rocky's outburst to me just shows he's not capable of having a conversation that wasn't even that uncomfortable at all. The question wasn't uncomfortable. The question was saying, basically, I think Mark Lazarus knew that the team had done some stuff. He wanted to give the organization the opportunity to say, this is what we've
3: done. And and Wirtz completely botched it. I, I mean, I think Sheldon Kennedy said it best. This type of behavior is exactly how people get hurt. The whole panel was frozen in fear to speak up. That's a quote from Sheldon Kennedy. This is the exact behavior that needs changing, period. Kind of like, the, what the NHL and
2: like Gary Bettman's, oh, it's an emotional response. Rocky's had a lot on his plate. I'm sorry, Gary. Like, that does what the NHL should have done out of that, Frank. If they want to show they're serious, they just said, we're putting Rocky in and he's going to take a sexual, understand how victims of sexual assault, because it's not just Kyle Beach there that's watching that. There's tons of Chicago Blackhawk fans and NHL fans who sadly have been the victims of sexual assault. The, the data doesn't lie. It doesn't matter what race you're from, what city you live in. It impacts millions of people in the, in North America. No question. And so the NHL could say, you know what? We're going to put him in a course so he could truly understand how his words in that moment are so devastating.
3: Again, I think more problematic than all of that, if we're really going to talk, we're going to have real talk about the words and and the investigation is that they were never actually questioned. So like, let's rewind back to October. The investigation report comes out. They listed all the people that were interviewed as part of the investigation. The Blackhawks funded the investigation. And at no point in the hundred and some pages did the report indicate that either Danny Wirtz or Rocky Wirtz were interviewed. Yikes. So it also exonerated them and said that they had no, no knowledge of it. But did you ever ask on the record? Yeah. I, and yeah, I, so course. I think you couple that with that outburst and you can see why it's, it's, it's not just disappointing. It's wrong. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Don't thanks. question me. I, I'm I'm the chairman. I'm the owner of this team. It was the defiance. It was the anger. It was the, you know, you can't touch me attitude that I think it, it speaks to a way larger thing than just hockey. Like it, it speaks to what everything that's that's wrong in our society, it feels like at the moment with billionaires telling everyone else where to get off.
2: Yeah, that's really what well, it comes down to. Well, and people in positions of power, Frank, and, and ultimately that's what a lot of s- sexual abuse is about, unfortunately. And I, I think it, it's one where, I I don't think there'll be people that will will uh, forgive Rocky at all, right? Um, and I they think shouldn't because it wasn't
3: even an apology that we no, got.
2: No, it wasn't an apology at all. Exactly, um, and to be that emotional, the thing was the question was so like
3: it was a very easy question. It wasn't attacking uh, whatsoever. And that's it wasn't that wasn't even looking back on 2010. No. It was looking forward, which is why yeah. he said, we're not going back. It was like well, the questioner wasn't trying to take you there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I didn't, I didn't get it at all. So that's a disappointing one for the Blackhawks. And one last one on that organization, complete kind of full circle with their GM. Do you, what do you make of the, the rumblings
3: of Alex the Brinkat? Why would you move him? Well, they're going to have to pay him and he's got another year left uh, with a a real cash value of $9 million. And that's going to be pretty expensive, I would imagine. Is there, I don't think they're moving him, but I do think that, that, well, first off, nothing's happening until they're hiring a GM. So I, I don't even think it's necessarily fair to talk about because I think really the plan heading into it I, I think there was some surprise um, that the Blackhawks really put their, their foot down and put the pedal to the metal in terms of getting this, this GM hired. I, I you know, I'm thinking this person could be hired this week um, that I think for a while, everyone was believing heading into the deadline that Kyle Davidson was going to be in charge because this, the search had been so slow moving that um basically the idea or notion that other teams got were the three hawks untouchables were Kane Taves and Seth Jones and that you know teams had sort of you know begun to poke around on the brink at a little bit uh i i think a few teams had tried to make a run at uh Brandon Hagel i think there was lots of interest in him maybe a little bit in in Kubalik um but that's you know the prices I think were, were really high to get really, really high to get players like to and, and uh, Hagel. Well, Frank,
2: uh, lots of discuss and digest on this pod. Uh, we have a special guest to let you get to in a second, coming up on, uh, on Friday. Uh, this edition, of course, uh, brought to you by DoorDash. NHL hockey is back tonight. You don't want to cook. Get DoorDash delivered. All your favorites go to DoorDash and uh, they will help you out. Um, for me, Everybody has uh, their own different favorites rank, but uh, still, uh, I'll be honest. I, uh, I used it for taco time the other day. Oh, not going to lie. Haven't had a soft taco. What's your taco. ideal taco? I just like a soft taco at taco time.
3: But like, you go, so you go beef, and
2: then what are your toppings? oh beef um i don't like tomatoes on it so i will go uh, i will go lettuce i like avocado now on my taco i'm a big fan of avocado uh sour cream the uh the hot sauce they have at taco time i don't know what's in it but it's sick and i uh that's that's probably about it yeah i don't like a ton of and cheese obviously like, i'll go with extra cheese if i can like mm-hmm. when i make homemade tacos frank I put on uh, I put on a few different cheeses because my my wife and I we like to try a lot of different cheese. So um, coconut gouda, I tried it on a taco at home. Top notch.
3: How very gouda. cheesy of you! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, who do you got coming on Friday? That would be Bane Pettinger of CAA Sports, the NHLPA's only openly gay agent. Uh, and more to the point, uh, just, uh, someone who's really made a lot of inroads is, is close and tight with a number of NHL players. And so looking forward to having Bane on to tell his story and talk about his journey. And, uh, and let's talk a little hockey as well.
2: Oh, it's going to be fun. Uh, games are back. And man, the next few weeks for some teams, you got teams playing anywhere from uh, seven to eight games in the next two weeks. It's, uh, for some teams. Meanwhile, the Sharks don't play until Valentine's Day. So odd schedule is they allow the teams who have played a lot of games to rest and the teams who are down like 42, 43, they're going to play a ton. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the next two weeks, how that unfolds. Uh, Frank, have a good one. Uh, we will talk to you on Friday.
3: Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown
1: with Sarah Volley and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash.
0: That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear. And you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.